Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. All right, guys. Thanks for being here. Again, I look forward to this time immensely. This means a lot to me to get to hang out with you, uh, to hang out with the big dogs. Again, it's kind of one-on-one as a group, and man-to-man is really a cool thing. I want to ask you guys, and think back over the three weeks that have led to where we are tonight. Does anybody have... As you interacted with your wife on projects, does anybody have kind of like a win that you might want to let us know about? Say, man, that really, this was a good time we had. She really was encouraged. Anybody have one of those kinds of experiences that you might want to just share with us? Anybody have a win? The whole thing was. Yeah. Opened up a lot of communication. It was great to spend time. Not any one thing, but all of the projects seemed to bear some fruit for you. Awesome. Well, because you were so willing, my friend, to share, I have a little gift for you. A book written by Dennis Rainey called Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. And uh, talks about the five stages of manhood, which is a good thing, by the way, we all ought to know. And we all ought to be able to uh, communicate if we have sons or even grandsons. And those stages are boyhood, adolescence, manhood, mentor, and patriarch. We all have an opportunity to be in one of those. Some of us, at times on steps of of manhood, we maybe straddle a little bit where we're kind of hanging back. Sometimes some young men do that. Uh, They still have one foot on adolescence and one foot on manhood. But this is... This is for you, my friend, because you just shared a little bit of information from me to you. Absolutely. Anybody else got a a win, something that happened that was positive as you interacted with your wife in any of these previous sessions, Um, anything that got shared or you said, wow, I'm glad we did that, or she said, man, thank you, or anything like that. Anybody else got a win at all that you're willing to share? I'm sure there were some. Anyone got one? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Oh, big dog stuff, gentlemen. Great idea, Mike. Yeah. Guess what? For you, my friend, also a copy of Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood by Dennis Rainey, a friend of mine. And uh, there you go. Thanks for sharing that. That's some good ideas. Someone write calligraphy on your love letter. Woohoo! I love that. Yeah, everyone just uh, download it and print it out and... <laughs> Yeah, well, change the name at the bottom, yeah. <laughs> How true that is. 
Hey, you know, we're going to talk about uh, upstairs, we're talking about being a mom, and we're going to be talking about being a dad, and, and I wanted to just, some of you have known me for decades, and you've known my family for decades, some of you don't really know me very well, or you're relatively new to Wildwood, so I was going to put a picture up uh, of my family and just introduce them to you, so uh, starting out on the left-hand side here, uh, that's my daughter Jennifer, who is our youngest, and her husband Zach. And you'll hear a little bit about Jennifer as I share tonight. Uh, they are with Camino in Puebla, Mexico. They're missionaries down there doing evangelism and church planting in Mexico. Next to Jennifer is my daughter, Emily. Uh, she is my second child, and uh, she is the only one of the three that is not married. She lives in Mississippi, and she's a surge tech down there and also does massage. And then right in the middle is my son, Kyle. You see him there with the beard and, and his wife, Brittany. And actually, this is Lincoln. Lincoln's now about two. This picture's a couple years old. Uh, and then they have another son uh, by the name of Noah. And my son, Kyle, he, he works for Sky Ranch Camps, uh, one of the top five camps in the country. He's, he's the director of family ministries for Sky Ranch Camps. They have a camp in the Tyler, Texas area one in northeastern Oklahoma where some of our youth have gone, um, and then two in Colorado, two family camps, Horn Creek and Ute Trail. And uh, he, he's in charge of all the retreats during the school year at the Texas camp, so he spends the school year down near Tyler, and then every summer he spends up in Colorado near Lake City um, doing the family camp there, and he's also responsible for overseeing the other family camp. My wife Janet in the front, then on the far end is my daughter, Rebecca. She's the firstborn in the family with her husband, Nick. And uh, they have three kids, which is Aiden, Landon, and she is holding Kinsey there. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea of my family as we take some time tonight talking about being a dad. So if you would grab your notes, I do want to remind you again, gentlemen, that Again, there's this idea sometimes in the church that when we get men together, the goal is to beat them up and bludgeon them, and, and that is not what we're doing. But we are doing something, and that is calling one another up. We did that in our role as a husband last week, and we're going to deal, deal with that as a, in the role of a dad this week. And I just want you to know, as we're doing this, that I, I love you guys, and I believe in you guys. And so... Uh, no one's beating anybody up, but we're calling one another up. Now, as we talk about a dad, there's a little statement you could write across the top of your notes. It goes like this. The character of a dad has lasting influence on his children. The character of a dad has lasting influence on his children. That may be an incredible understatement. And that lasting influence can be a positive one, and it can be a negative one. The character of a dad has a lasting influence on his children. An example of a positive one could be found in the person of Carl Lewis. Many of you might remember him, the great Olympic athlete. And in 1984, Carl Lewis won the gold medal in the Olympics. What you may not know is that two years later, Carl Lewis's father died. And in 1986, as they got ready to close the casket to bury his father, Carl Lewis walked up to that casket with an Olympic gold medal in his hands, and he laid it on his father's chest. 
What's also interesting is that 10 years later in Atlanta, if you go back and look at the highlights, Carl Lewis wins the Olympic gold medal again. And if you go back and watch the video highlight, you'll watch him running, and as he crosses the finish line, he, he blows a kiss up to his father because of that positive influence that his dad was. It's a lasting influence. It can be positive, and it can also sadly be negative, illustrated by a 17-year-old boy in Denver who committed suicide, and he left behind this note. I could never do anything good enough to please my father. Gentlemen, the character of a dad has a lasting influence on his children. I believe personally that dad is one of the most powerful words in the English language. And what I want you to do, a little exercise we want to do right now, is I want you to think about your dad. I want you to think about your dad, and I want you to try to grab, if you could just grab one word that would summarize your dad, what would it be? Now, it could be a positive term or it could be a negative term, and here's what I want you to do. On the top of your page there, would you just write my, the two words, my dad, colon, and then I want you to put that one word. If you could just pick one word to summarize your dad, what would it be? So take a moment to do that. Think about your dad his influence in your life, try to capture one word that would summarize that and write it at the top of the page. My dad, whatever. Now here's what I want to do, and I've done this all over the United States and actually around the world too. Um, I'd love to have a, a few of us share a one-word summary of your dad. And again, it can be a, a positive one. It might be a negative cast one. But what are some one-word summaries you have of your dad? Let me hear. Mentor. That's a great one. Talker. Gone. Committed. Is that what you said? Wise. Patient. What was that? Caustic. Abusive, thank you for sharing that. Life of sacrifice? Oh, sacrifice, yes, yeah, sacrifice would be one word summary. Isn't it interesting the blend that we get? You know, we had some really positive ones and we had some, some very honest negative ones. You know, as I've done this over the years, I have heard yelled out, drunk. And I'll never forget the time I heard yelled out, murderer, murderer. You know, um, if I was going to pick one word to describe my dad, it would be the word provider. Uh, my dad worked hard all of his life. He was a World War II guy, providing for his family, worked all the way till he was forced to retire at the age of 62 uh, due to poor health. But an incredible provider. And he provided for our family. I can remember him helping me work my way through college. Um, just an incredible provider in my life. And uh, I think really, in essence, we're moving into, in our culture, a, a national drought in the arena of fatherhood. And at the heart of it, I think, is, is not really a lack of desire, because I think, I think men desire to be a good father, but what we really need is some direction, 
And that's really why we're here tonight. We're going to be talking about being a dad and being a father. We're going to spend some time doing three things. Number one, we're going to spend some time reflecting and then rehearsing and then renewing. All right, so that's our plan. That's where we're going. We're going to spend some time reflecting on our own dad, as we've been doing, and his influence and impact in our life. And some of us, all of us to some extent with our dads, had at least some lemon in that relationship, maybe a lot. And we can either let the lemon uh, sour us or we learn to turn that lemon into lemonade. Because, you see, even if we had a very negative influence, you can learn a, a lesson from a positive example, but you can also learn a lesson from a negative example. Is that not right? You know, positive example, I want to be like that. Negative example, I'm not going there. So uh, we, we can turn the lemon into lemonade. We're also going to spend some time rehearsing our responsibilities as a dad from a biblical perspective. And as we get to the end of our time tonight, I'm going to share with you two very practical ways that you can teach your children. If you still have children in the home, I'll share those ways with you. And then we're going to spend at the very end just a few moments renewing our commitment as dads and as fathers. So if you look in your notes, we're going to talk about three roles that we have as a dad, and we're going to overview them, and then we'll, we'll zoom in on them. Letter A says, Dad is the leader of his family. He is a manager. We are, gentlemen, as we even looked at last time, as husbands, leaders by divine design. And if we're going to be leaders, we need some management input. We need that. If you're a manager in business, one of the things they want you to do is to get some management training and equipping in the area that you're managing. And we need to be doing that as guys. We need to be doing that as men. Now, I haven't spent a lot of time recommending books. I had flashed this book stepping up a little bit earlier. But I wanted to make this comment because I've, I've, I've interacted with a lot of guys. And here's what happens with us as guys sometimes. Um, books are flashed, and you're, you're, you know, here I am, you know, Joe Seminary guy, I've got like 4,000 books up in my office, and you're thinking, yeah, he's a reader, I'm not. But I, I want you to, don't psych yourself out about reading books. You know, when there's books on being a husband and books on being a dad, take advantage of them. And here's the way that you can do this. Do you know, if you're not even, if you're not particularly a reader, but you can be a reader, if you just take advantage of something that happens on a regular basis for you. And that is, there's this little room that you go into on a fairly, you know what I'm talking about, this little room. And you can go in that room, and if you simply read one chapter at a time, after maybe 12 visits to the little room, 15 visits to the little room, you got a book read. Now, this particular book on stepping up a call to courageous manhood actually has 25 chapters in it, but they're short, like seven pages, eight pages. So in like, you could even read maybe two of those in a visit to the little room. So maybe in 12 and a half visits to the little room, you got a book read. So, so take advantage of this management input that is available. You know, it's interesting when uh, my, my dad was being a dad, I asked them one time, uh, how, much, how many resources did you have, like on parenting? And you know what my dad told me? There was one book out on parent and child care. That was it. 
That was all they had. And we live in an age when all kinds of things are available. I want to show you a little video clip. Family Life has done a very state-of-the-art series for men on this, this book, on stepping up. It is really sharp. It is really good. And we have, we possess this resource at Wildwood. We've used it some at Wildwood. But I want to challenge you that that's maybe something you could do. We could, we could have you take our resource and utilize it. Maybe you could meet with some men at work in your neighborhood, uh, even here at Wildwood, and you could go through some of this material in this video series. So check out, this is a little preview of it. Hey, I'd like to commend you for taking this time to invest in your relationship with God to become the man that you want to be for all of the relationships that you're involved in. Hi, I'm Jeff Kemp. I quarterbacked in the NFL for 11 years, and that's a place where without great teamwork, nothing can get accomplished. And you know what? We men need that teamwork. We need a brotherhood. We need to be called up to our identity as a man so we can step up and live out what Christ called us to. At Family Life, we've created a great resource, and I've been involved in presenting it an awful lot of times. It's called Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. It'll help you and your brothers grow strong in Christ and in all of your roles so you can be the leader and the lover and the servant that God calls us to be. There's room every day in every life to demonstrate courage. And courage is the ability to do the hard thing in every circumstance, despite the cost. The number one response I get, Try I've never done anything courageous. children who turn their eyes toward you. My family is still living, and I'm not a part of it, and I'll never get that back. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you are the glory of God. What hurts men the most is when they don't have a vision that calls them forth. The guy who's a husband, the guy who's a worker, the guy who's a father, the guy who's single, the guy who's struggling with pornography, struggling with his insecurities, with his fears, his finances. What is the most courageous thing you have ever done? Daddy, thank you for loving us like you did. I am not fixed, but I am not the same guy. We're manning up, aren't we? We're manning up. We're manning up. Men, God's going to call you to do some courageous things. courageous things. If you don't step up, you're going to fall down. We need some management material. There it is. And that's just some of it that's available to us. We got it in book form. We got it in this form. Great way to view it. By the way, John was just up here telling me that because of the way the church has made some arrangements with rightnowmedia.com, and you can, you can watch this series on your computer, basically stream it down if you want to also. We have the DVD series. We have uh, access to workbooks and stuff. So what we're saying is we, we're, we're a manager. We need some management input. Letter B in your notes. Second role, dad's heart 
helps him shepherd his family. He is a minister. And then we have a passage here from Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. It's interesting how much this relationship between fathers and their children is on God's mind because that verse is the last verse in the last book of the Old Testament. And then when you open up the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, guess what? It shows up again. It is there. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Of course, it's talking about the Messiah who will do that one day. But you know, I look at a verse like that and, and I look I look at what's going on in our country and I start to wonder, could we be under a curse right now? And that part of the problem has to do with fathers and their relationship with their kids. You know, some dads are absentee dads. They're just gone. Some dads are present, but the effect in the family and with kids is that they're absent. You know, my dad was a traveling salesman and sales manager for a conglomerate company out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a company by the name of Copper's Company. And in my growing up years, my dad, because he traveled a lot and particularly had multiple states to cover, he would often leave on Monday morning and he would come back on Friday afternoon. Now, I want you to know something that had a big effect on me. That had a big effect on choosing a career in my own life. One of the things I said as a young guy is, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving on Monday morning and coming back on Friday. And one of the things that happened in our home is that when my dad came home after being gone all week, a lot of times he had to enforce discipline. And, you know, my mom tried to discipline us, but it just, it just wasn't very effective. And she figured that out after a while, and so she would often say, you wait till your father gets home. And you need to know something about my dad. He was, again, a World War II vet. When my dad came home to discipline me, it was scary. I mean, literally, I can still remember my dad's coming home, and my knees were doing this, you know. It's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm going to really face it now. And uh, my dad really was somebody to be feared when it came to discipline. You know, I shared how when he was 62, he was forced to retire. He had severe, severe arthritis, and he also had lung emphysema, which is basically lung shutdown. He was like all those guys. They went into the service when they were 17, 18 years old, smoking away, smoking away. He did it all his life, and it basically just began to shut down his body. And so my dad died Somewhat slowly, I mean, you knew he was going, but it, it, it was just a slow death. And my dad was a typical World War II guy and didn't really get very deep in conversation very often. But one time I was over there with him, sitting there, and he turned to me and he said, Bruce, I have a regret. And I'm like going, whoa, you know, we haven't been on this level of communication before. And I said to him, Dad, what, what was your regret? And he said, here was my regret. My regret was in your growing up years, I left on Monday, I came back on Friday, and often I had to discipline you. Frankly, I was shocked. I felt that. I didn't have any idea he felt that. And here's my dad 
virtually in the process of dying, and he says he has a regret. But this is the way Bruce's brain works. You know, I, I spin this way. I'm thinking, I wonder if I am building a regret right now. Could we be building a regret right now as a dad? I came across a book a number of years ago. It's written by a guy by the name of John Drescher. The title of the book is, If I Were Starting My Family Again. I mean, you know what happened is that he raised his kids. They all went out of the home. And he just thought, if I had a do-over, if I could do it over again, what would I do differently? And here's part of what Drescher wrote in that book. He wrote, if I had a, a chance to start over, I would listen more with the third ear. I'd seek to hear what my child was feeling if he asked questions or made statements. If my child asked, Daddy, must you go away again tonight? I would hear him saying, I want to be with you, Daddy. I would pay particular attention to the times my child might climb on my knees and share the happenings of the day. Those days of holding and listening are too soon gone. And, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're here and some of us are a little bit older and you're thinking, you know what, they're already gone. I'm, they're out of my house. <laughs> and I would say this, if, you, if your kids are gone, you still have another wave coming in, uh, which are grandchildren. We've now got five of them, four of them boys. And again, someone who's a little bit older was saying, do I need to be here next week? I said, yeah, you need to be here because we can all have an opportunity to, to, to be a father to somebody, even if we don't have the kids in our home anymore, because many kids are looking for a dad. They're looking for a dad. You know, um, a number of years ago, I uh, did my Sunday morning preaching thing, you know, and we had a particular family in the church that remain unnamed, but it was the mom who came to church and she had stair-step daughters all the way down. Never saw dad here, heard some things about dad, but finally dad left the home and he'd been gone out of the home for a number of months and this particular Sunday morning, the seven-year-old daughter came up to me with this in her hand, and she said, here, this is a gift for you, and she gave it to me. And I said to her, oh, what a cute little bunny, you know, where did you get that? And she said, well, I bought it at a garage sale for you. Now, gentlemen, what was actually transacting at that very moment? She was looking at me in what way? As a father figure in her life. Her dad was out of the house. And she was looking for someone who could be a father figure in her life. And we have that opportunity even if your kids are out of your home. Don't miss it. Many of you know that we have for a number of years in several elementary schools, we started with Kennedy Elementary have uh, offered opportunities for both women and for us as guys to mentor kids. You know, Kennedy was a very discouraged elementary school when we started. 
And we had a number of our guys who went there an hour a week to mentor kids. And you know who they gave them the, at first, of course, the, the worst kids, the most troubled kids of all. And what was interesting is how much that changed those kids because there was a father figure in their life. Because deep on the interior, that's what they want. And it's actually, over the years as they've unfolded, it's changed the atmosphere of the whole elementary school. Because people need father figures. And so he says, I would listen more with the third ear. Now, I just want you to know, uh, I'm not up here as the guy who has it all together, who did everything right. We could parade all my adult children through here and they would point out a number of things to you. But even I, even when I've, I've communicated some of these principles over the years, I still forget, I forget, I forget and need to be reminded, which is one of the values of why I like doing this is I'm reminded of these principles. I remember one time, because our kids, we were involved with family life and they never really knew what family life was all about, so uh, we would bring them along one at a time so they could see what a weekend to remember would look like, what mom and dad are doing when they disappear for Really, we leave on Thursdays, and we usually don't get back till Monday night at the earliest. So we brought Jennifer, and Jennifer was about 15 years old at the time. And uh, I can remember we were in the, on the hotel. We're there. The thing starts on Friday night, so we're there on Thursday. And, and she comes to me, and she says, Dad, 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 you know, can we go swimming in the pool? I'd love to go swimming with the three of us, you know. And, and I really basically told her this. I said, Jennifer, look... I'm here to speak to people. And we had revised some of the talks, and I had to review those, and I said, I really can't, but you and, you and Mom, go swim. Go swim. And she actually came to me a second time. Are you sure, Dad, you know, that you can't go swim with us? I said, no, really. I've got to talk to people. I really don't have time to go swimming right now. And then she came to me a third time, and this happens to me occasionally. I call these little Holy Spirit knocks. You know, it's like... Not a literal knock, but I kind of get this from the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, Mr. Speaker Boy, you talk to men about listening with a third ear, and, 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 and you don't even do it yourself consistently. Like, you know, so I told her, all right, let's go swimming, you know. Now, I wish I had a video camera because she was just at that stage where it was really extra special to be with her dad. And so we go out to the pool. She's there with her mom, but it's, it's really Jen and me, Jen and me. And we're doing this, you know, swimming races back and forth, back and forth. But if you just could have seen the beaming on her face, you know, and every once in a while, I just am so grateful the Holy Spirit does that little knock for me because I need it. I need to be reminded to listen with the third ear. Notice letter C says, Dad's character provides the basis of how he leads. He is a model and we have a passage from Exodus 18 about the importance of what we're to model, men who fear God, men of truth, men who hate dishonest gain. By the way, this is the most challenging role, right? The role of being a model. You know, if I could think of another one-word summary of my dad, the one-word summary I would give in addition to provider is the word, this might surprise you, gentleman. And what's really interesting, in all those years my dad worked, I was only ever in his office one time, and I really never met any of the people that he worked with, but I heard the stories from my dad, and I heard the names of his bosses from my dad. Now, my mom and dad had moved here to Norman, Oklahoma, because we were here and my sister lives here, and so when my dad died, 
Um, we had a memorial service here in Norman for him, but he's from Pittsburgh. And so we flew his body back just outside of Pittsburgh where he's buried, and we held another memorial service there. And I'm at this memorial service, you know, just doing this, conducting the service. And after the service, this man comes up to me. I've never seen him before, and he introduces himself to me. And I recognize the name as one of my dad's bosses. And he says this to me. He says, Bruce, when I think about your father, I think of a gentleman. And he turned and left. Probably 45 seconds later, another guy comes walking up, never seen him before, introduces himself to me. And I recognized him as my dad's big boss. I knew, I knew the name. He didn't know what the other guy had said. This is what he said to me. He said, Bruce, when I think of your dad, I think of a gentleman. In fact, I used to call one guy in the company the gentleman of the West, and I called your dad the gentleman of the East. Now again, the way my brain works, woo, 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 woo. One day I am laying in the box. What's the one-word summary my kids are going to use of me? I want you to go back to that first page. I don't remember how far turned in we are, but go back to the first page where you wrote my dad, colon, and a blank. I want you to write this word, me, colon, and I want you to write a one-word summary. If you could just grab it right now, not what you think your children might give to you, but if you could capture what you would like them to say, what would it be? Write down a one-word summary of what you would like them to say of you when it comes time to exit this planet. All right, let's kind of zoom in on these three roles. Dad is the family manager, letter A. He must manage his household and keep his children under control. You know, to manage anything, you have to be in contact with it. You cannot manage them if you are never there. How many guys here go hunting, target shooting, anything like that? Let me see hands. Let me see hands. How many people like, you know, shot a 22 or BB, you know, BB gun, uh, you know, anything, right? You know, we, we have a number of guns in our family, and, uh, and one of the very first ones I shot was a German P-38 Luger my dad took out of a German pillbox uh, at the end of World War II. I've got several weapons, rifles, and uh, we go shooting. In fact, when Jennifer and Zach were back and his mother was ill, uh, we had a whole day we went shooting, and we had a blast doing it. But here's a principle I've learned about shooting, and that is the farther you are from the target, the greater the chance of error. It's even true if you're throwing rocks. The farther you are from the target, the greater the chance of error, and error increases with distance. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know any of your situation. I don't even know what most of you do for a living. But I just want you to know, when it comes to being an effective dad, when it comes to being a family manager, it may mean that when it comes to our work, there's some things we need to say no to. I don't know. It may be that we need to make a little bit of a pay cut, cut back a little bit in order to give us more time as a dad. 
It could mean we need to shift occupations. I don't know. I'm not pushing anybody for anything. I'm just saying, think about that. Calling one another up. I did this one week, and, I, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and he, he really was just misty. You know, the tears were welling in his eyes. And he said, you know, when you talk about your dad being gone, he said, that's me. I'm gone every week, all week. And he said, this last week, when I left our house, my daughter got on her bike and she followed me through the neighborhood. And then, you know, when I turned on the more main street, I looked back in my mirror and there she was waving at me. And he just said to me, hey, I got to make a change. We need to be in touch because we have a lasting influence. Notice letter B says, dad manages by being prayerfully dependent on God. Of course, we don't do this by ourselves at all. Number one, he manages with knowledge. It says in Proverbs 27, know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. When we have kids, we have to be in, in contact with them. We have to know what's going on with them. Now, I had an opportunity not all of us have, and that is that when my kids were in elementary and middle school, here's what I would do with them. One time a month, I would go eat lunch with them. Now, if you think I was really dying to do that, I mean, you know, a lot of times that meant we were eating in the cafeteria, what wonderful food they have there. And then when we did go out, you know, where they wanted to go, I mean, now we have Chick-fil-A. In those days, it was what? McDonald's, exactly. But I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to talk to them about what was happening at school. Tell me, tell me, and I'm listening. I'm managing with knowledge. Number two, he manages with understanding. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Remember this verse from Ephesians 6, 4? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ever ask yourself, what angers kids? What angers maybe my kids? A number of years ago, um, Gary Smalley actually surveyed a bunch of young people and asked them the question, what frustrates you about your parents? I'll just tell you some of what they said. Never telling me I love you. Never showing me physical affection. Not spending time alone with me. Using foul language when they're upset with me. Seeing them do the very things they tell me not to do. Ooh. Oh, wow. And how about this one? Needing my parents, but they're glued to the television. You know, sometimes, guys, at least we did this a little bit. I... You know, I have all my kids out of my house now. But we had this tendency, I think, as parents to play whack-a-mole with our kids. You remember the game? You know, a little thing pops up and you have the big mallet and you're going, bomb, you know, bomb, 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 bomb. And we have a real tendency to do that with our kids. You're not doing it right. You didn't do that. You're going, you know, bomb, 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 bomb. And if we play whack-a-mole with our kids all the time, pretty soon they're not going to pop up anymore. 
And, you know, I remember we had with some of our kids, they just seemed like they were slower. They, they, they just didn't get it. And, and we had a lot more time having to criticize them and correct them. And I can remember at times just telling Janet, wait a minute, think about it. We've gone like two weeks and we haven't really said anything affirming and encouraging to that one. We, we got to look for some things to encourage and not just be playing whack-a-mole with them. Number three, he manages with wisdom. By the way, here's a definition of wisdom, skill for living. Skill for living. He manages them with skill for living. What life wisdom, what life skill did your dad teach you? Think about it for a moment. We won't have you shat it all out, but how did he equip you? And I've heard these kind of things thrown out. Helped me to learn how to ride a bike. He helped me learn how to fish. He helped me learn how to maintain a car. He helped me how to drive. He helped me to learn how to repair things. He helped me how to throw a ball. He taught me the joy of work, how to be a hard worker. He taught me about sex. He taught me to stand up for the truth. He taught me the principle of delayed gratification. He taught me about finances. He taught me about how to manage our time. You know, it would be good to make a list of what skill for living do you want to pass on to your kids. Dad is also the family minister. Letter A says he shepherds his flock. Letter B, he ministers to his flock by caring for their needs. And by the way, their need is strong. Dads leave a lasting influence on their children. Many of you may have heard the story of 19th century diplomat and political figure Charles Francis Adams. Now, that's the 1800s. They did things differently. We have TV. We have the Internet. A lot of men in those days wrote diaries where they would write down what was happening. And Charles Francis Adams wrote this in one entry in his diary. It's fascinating to me. I went fishing today with my son, dot, 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 a day wasted. Now, I know what he was saying. He wasn't saying, I, I hate being with my son. He was saying, we went fishing, we didn't catch anything. Nothing. It's wasted away the day. But someone decided to check on his son, Brooke Adams, found out he also kept a diary, cross-referenced the dates. This is what Brooke Adams wrote in his diary that day. Went fishing with my father today, the most wonderful day of my life. Man, that's a lasting influence that we live. Number one says he considers them a privilege to care for. We do it voluntarily. By the way, guys, this circle the word privilege. As your kids age, it becomes more and more apparent the privilege that we have. And having said goodbye to all of my kids out of my house, I often think back on that. And what an incredible privilege that was. Jennifer was the last to leave home, and she, she, she got married to Zach, when we were excited for her to marry Zach. And uh, you have to understand this about me. I, I, I'm not a weeper. I'm just not a weeper. But there was something about the end of the train that got to me. And uh, Janet was already over here at the church. I was going to perform the ceremony. And Jennifer, who I always let her park to park in the garage instead of me, was getting ready to leave. And she came up to me and she, this 
basically what she said to me. She said, Dad, it's been a great 22 years. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, then she started through the garage. I have a little window in the, in the garage door window, you know, and I watched her get in the car, and she pulled out and opened the door up, you know, and she kind of waved at me like this, you know. Man, it was like, I'm, I'm bawling. I have people staying in my house, you know, because of the, of the wedding and everything. So, you know, I've got to, I, I, I end up going outside. I grab a hose. I go to the air conditioner condenser, and I'm cleaning the fins, you know. Water's coming all over me, you know. It just kind of covered the whole deal. But man, what a privilege that was to have those kids. The privilege. Number, one, number two, he makes them a priority. How do kids spell love, guys? T-I-M-E. You know, when, when I grew up, I was in a lot of sports. My dad was never around. One of the things my dad did, and I didn't completely blame him, he's gone Monday through Friday, and when he came home Saturday, he usually went golfing all day with his buddies. He needed a little break. But my dad never coached me. My dad only came to only two games I ever played and that I can remember. And so, of course, you know, it's lemon, but you turn the lemon into lemonade. So I said, when I have kids, man, I'm going to coach those kids. And, you know, we had our first child coming, which was Rebecca, and I thought, when I found out it was a girl, I said, that's okay, girls like sports, but Rebecca never really liked sports. And then we had Emily, and I think, it's okay, girls play sports now, too, and, and, and Emily really never liked sports. And then we had my son, Kyle, and I thought, okay, here we go. Kyle was a lot like me, he loved sports. And I coached my son, Kyle, in every conceivable sport that you can think of. I mean, literally every sport that we have in this town, short of tackle football, I coached my son. Now, you know that that takes a lot of time to do that. Uh, you sacrifice a lot. By the way, if you have kids and someone else is coaching them and you haven't gone up to that guy, looked him in the eye and gave him a firm handshake and say, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. You need to do that. Because it's sacrificial with all the practices and everything else. You know, w with my son's ability and kind of the way things were set up in Norman, though, by the time my, my son turned about 15, you know, it was just coaching was over for me. And I was retiring, and, and I was kind of glad because, frankly, the church had gotten bigger. My responsibilities had gotten bigger. And I said, man, I'm out of the coaching business. It's, it's good. But we did have a fourth child who, with Jennifer, and Jennifer just so happened to be the most athletically gifted kid in the entire family. And when she was seven years old, or actually when she was eight years old, she came to me and she said, Dad, I want to play peewee softball. Will you be my coach? What do you think I said? Well, what I said was, Jennifer, I really am so busy. Really, I know every coach in this town. I will be at every game you play. You're going to have a good coach, but I really can't coach you right now. Ask me once, ask me twice. There was another morning she came to me the third time. Will you be my coach? And I got, again, the, the Holy Spirit kind of little, little Mr. Spiritual Guy. Is that the message you want to convey to your daughter? You care more about your son than you do about her? It's like, I mean, not an audible thing, just a sense I had. And I'm going like, thank you again, Lord. I really appreciate that. So I went into her room and I said, Jennifer, I'll be your coach. Went to work that day, had an elders meeting that night. Came home. 
My daughter was in bed, but I found this little note on my pillow. And this is what she wrote. Dear Dad, will you play ball with me? Can we play cards too? I was happy all day today. Can Kyle and Mom play cards with us? Thank you for being my coach. I love you. You are a great dad. Love you, Jennifer. And then she tried to spell daughter, misspelled it, crossed it out, put daughter in pencil, and then she has a big red heart there. I'm so thankful for the Spirit of God, guys. The kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Notice it says he leads them by being a model, being an example. I want you to write this phrase right next to that point in your notes. Become what you want your children to become. Become what you want your children to become. You know, uh, it's interesting. I never heard my dad ever say in his life that he had made a mistake, particularly in his parenting. And I, my dad did make mistakes, and I was hurt by a few of the mistakes that he had made. And, and I can remember being a little ticked off about that. Kind of a little bit like, dude, if you make a mistake, you ought to own up to it. I had some of those thoughts. And then as I pondered that, I realized, you know what? You can learn something from a negative example, and you can learn something from a positive example, but what happens when you have no example? Because I realized that my dad never had a dad. You see, his father, who was my grandfather, was gassed in Europe in World War I. Now, he never died right then. He made it back to the States, but he died from the complications of being gassed in Europe when my dad was four years old. He never had a dad. You know, and all of us have experienced some poor modeling and some hurt. And again, we can either let the lemon sour us or we can turn the lemon into lemonade. That's what I decided I was going to do. My dad never said he made a mistake. I said, that's not going to be that way in my home. So when, starting when my kids were very little, I'm talking about when they were toddlers, I would say to them, you know, your dad makes mistakes. Over and over again, I would say that. Your dad makes mistakes. Your dad, and they heard it so many times, you know, eventually they would go, yes, dad, we know that you make mistakes. I wanted them to understand that. But what is really interesting about this is that sometimes you do make a mistake and you've got to deliver on it. When my son Kyle was about 15 years old, we had gone over, he was going to public school, and we'd gone over some scenarios that can unfold at public school. And if this happens, this is what you're supposed to do. And if that happens, this is what you're supposed to do. Went over and over it. And then this one particular day comes along and... Uh, I find out that one of the things we talked about actually happened, and my son reacted in completely the opposite way that he had been instructed to do. And I'm over here at the church, and I'm, I'm frankly, I'm hot. It's like, stupid kid, how many times do I have to tell that guy? And you know, I can't believe, you know. And so, you know, I go blistering home afterwards, and I expected to find him right where I found him. You know, he's a typical teen. He came home, grabbed some stuff out of the fridge, you know, was lounging in front of the TV, you know, eating some stuff. I came walk, marching in there and said, you, mister, to your room. I needed to cool down a little bit. I was a little hot. Came in the room, and I said, I heard what happened at school today. 
And, uh, you know, you know, we went over this. How many times do we get over this? I can't believe, you know, and he's going, but dad, but dad. I said, no buts out of you. I cannot believe this happened like this. This is unreal. I don't know what I'm going to do in terms of a punishment. You just sit here and think about it, and I will ponder that, and I'll get back to you. So I go walking out of his bedroom, and my wife had just come home, and she said, oh, I heard you're talking to Kyle there. She said, did you hear the whole story? There's a, there's, a, there's a story here? And so she basically unfolded for me everything that happened. And I, I thought to myself, oh my gosh. He really responded the right way, given that whole story. And it's exactly what I would have done. Kyle had been hearing all of his life from his dad. Your dad makes mistakes. And I'd done it. And I had to deliver on it. So I remember walking back into his room. And I said, Kyle, just sit down for a moment. I got to apologize to you. I just want you to know I'm sorry for what I did. I jumped to conclusions. I never let you even speak and explain anything. And that was totally, remember we're back to the conflict thing. You know, I'm sorry for what I did, fill in the blank. I was wrong. And then I asked the powerful question, will you forgive me for doing that? You know what my son said back to me? Yes, Dad, I forgive you. I know that you make mistakes. Wow. Number four, it says he meets their needs. This is the shepherding idea. We have Psalm 23 attached there. It's kind of interesting to look at the psalm and to put... Put my dad into that. You know, my dad is my shepherd I shall not want. My dad makes me lie down in green pastures. My dad leads me beside quiet waters. My dad restores my soul. My dad guides me in the paths of righteousness for God's name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for my dad is with me. My dad is with me. He meets their needs. You ever ask your kids, what makes life tough for you right now? You know, a lot of times what happens when, when they say that, we're thinking to ourselves, well, she thinks that's tough. Whew. You know. What things are hard for them? Ask them those questions. Number five, he tells them that he loves them. This is the expressiveness part, that we express it. You know, all the years... My dad never one time ever said to me, I love you. I understand he was, a, he was a World War II guy. Only two times in my life that my dad ever said, I'm proud of you. Those are pretty precious. But again, you know, I decided I'm going to turn the lemon into lemonade. I'm going to do it differently with my kids. They're going to hear those words out of my mouth. Let me just ask you the question, how long has it been since you really complimented your kids? How long has it been since you really hugged them and kissed them? How long has it been since you told them, I'm proud of you? How long has it been since you told them, I love you? Men, you never grow, outgrow the need for dad to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. I don't get to see my son very often. He's busy doing things, but every time we're together, those are the words that he, I deliver to him. I'm proud of you. I love you. 
And if there's only one thing you get out of this session, if you have kids, that you would just go and look them in the eyes and tell them, I love you and I'm proud to be your father. They need to hear it. Dad is the family model. Dad must model God's truth in his own life. Notice it said he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. I wrote the word character over that. What a man is determines what a man does. And a man's character is shaped by his relationship with God. And of course, the key to character is our walk with God. And a man's priorities are reshaped by the Word of God. And it says, Dad must transfer God's truth down through the generations. Guys, if you're a dad, you've got a baton in your hand and you're handing it off. And you're handing it off to people who one day are going to be handing it off. You know, like, again, just using Kyle's an illustration, I handed him a baton and he's now handed it to two boys in a row. And that's the way that it works. We are a conduit. By the way, guys, we talked about dad being one of the most powerful words in the English language. Here's what's interesting. This fascinates me. Keith Myring, who's an administrator for Men's Life, talks about the incredible spiritual power of a father in a child's life. This is what he says. Listen to this carefully. This is very vital. When the father is an active believer in the family, active believer means not that you're perfect, but you're pursuing a walk with God. You're pursuing to want to honor God. You're learning about the Bible, all those things. When the father is an active believer, there is a 75% likelihood the children will also become active believers. But if only the mother is an active believer, this likelihood is dramatically reduced to 15, 1-5%. Now, I've been here for 37 years. That means I've watched families get created and grow up and get married, and I would agree with that statistic. When the father is an active believer, 75% likelihood the kids will be an active believer. Letter B, dad must transfer God's truth down through the generations. And that's what we do. Uh, no, see, number one, dad must have the word of God in his heart. That's obvious. You can't pass a baton that you don't have. And here we come to the two ways that you can teach your children. Number two, dad uses daily opportunities. Let's circle that, those two words, daily opportunities to equip his children. He is diligent. And you, many of you are familiar with this passage from Deuteronomy 6. These which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. There's a, a form of speech in Hebrew called merism. When you say when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, that means as things happen. You know, when you lie down, when you rise up, that means as things occur that you teach and you take advantage of these opportunities. And I want to just say this. Sometimes, you know, you hear this as a guy and you think, well, what am I supposed to teach him, you know, on a daily basis? Listen, there's opportunities everywhere if you'll look for them. For example, I'll tell you about this. One time we were going down the street and uh, we had everybody in the van and I'm driving by Walmart, and I look over and catch the eye of the cops that are at Walmart, and they're, they're leading some teens out of Walmart, you know, handcuffed behind their back. Now, when you see that, you know, there's a couple of reactions you can have, like stupid teenagers, or I'm glad that's not my stupid teenagers over there. But I'm thinking, lesson, you know, so I pulled the whole van over there, and we parked where we could see everything. And I said to the kids, I said, you see what's going on here? And they go, well, I don't know, Dad, what's happening? You know, and I explained to them. 
These kids thought that they would try to steal something from Walmart, and, you know, that's not what you do, and this is what happens when you get caught. I remember we went through a period at Norman North here in Norman where it was really in, in about over six weeks, we had five teenagers killed in car wrecks who attended Norman North in like six weeks. And again, you can have the reaction of stupid teenagers and driving, and I'm glad it's not my teenagers, or you can say, lesson to be learned here, teaching opportunity. So I can remember we were at the dinner table, and this one particular wreck had three kids who died in the wreck. And so I, I asked my kids at the dinner table, did you know these three, these three kids in school? And they said, well, we didn't really know they weren't our friends, but we knew who they were. And I said, do you know what happened that caused this accident? And they said, no, Dad, what happened? I said, well, here's what happened. Number one, they were going three times faster than the speed limit out on a country road. Number two, person in the back seat began to tickle the driver. Driver lost control, smacked into a tree, and you have three dead teenagers. So what are you guys going to do? for the drivers I had at the time, when someone wants to tickle you or do something, you know, there's a teaching opportunity. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. You know, even lessons you learn in sports, there's all kinds of lessons out there if you just look for the opportunities. Use those daily opportunities. And then the second way you can teach your kids is dad structures formal teaching times to instruct his children. Now, I want to ask you a question, guys, and I know some of us have older kids, but let me just ask this question, and you don't, don't answer yet, but I want you to think about the answer. When should you teach your children about sex? Just think about it. Come, you know, come up with an answer in your head. Don't say it out loud. You got it? You know what my answer to that question is? When should you teach your kids about sex? Before Satan starts to do it. That's my answer. You know, I, I, was, I, I talked to a group of guys in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, this guy Joey came up to me afterwards, and he, he told me this. He said, you know, Bruce, my eight-year-old son, who's in elementary school, was on the elementary school bus with fifth graders, and they were showing him a picture on their phone of a girl giving oral sex on a guy. And my son comes home, and he, he asks us about it, and he, he just begins to say, you know, I don't know what was going on. I said, you know, Dad, it looked like she was blowing on his privates. He's eight years old on the elementary school bus. Satan is starting to teach him. You know, it's interesting. I've asked a number of people, uh, how did you first hear about sex? Or what did you learn about sex from your parents? And here's one that I got. I like this one. One person told me it was the fall of my senior year of high school. I was 18 years old. I was with my dad. We were out golfing. We were on the third tee. We teed off. We were headed to our second shot in the cart. And my dad turned to me and he said this, son, sex is a beautiful thing between a man and a woman and a husband and a wife. And they went on, hit their second shot and then the third shot. And you're like, what? what was that all about? Well, I know what was going on. You know what was going on. He knew what was going on, right? Later on. His wife had been on him, teach your son about sex, teach your son about sex. And so when he came home that day, did you teach him? Yep, did it right out there in the golf course, got her done. And we, we need to do this before Satan does it. So let me give you a couple things real quick. Write down this book title, it's called God's Design for Sex. There's actually four volumes in it, and they're age-graded. 
Now, this is a new set. We used a similar set in our household. Uh, the first one called The Story of Me. And by the way, these can be purchased individually as, and also as a set. The first one, Story of Me, that's for ages three to five. Before I was born is for ages five to eight. What's the big deal is for ages eight to 11. And then there's another one for teens. We did this with our kids. We started when they were three and four years old, teaching them about sex. And, and they were learning it from mom and dad. And I'm going to tell you, that pays huge dividends when you get a little further down the road. And even with my daughters, I was the one who read the books to them. Now, when they got older and you got to that little awkward stage, I handed the ball to my wife and said, you run with it the rest of the way. But get a hold of a series like that if you've got kids. God's Design for Sex, great series. And you can look it up on Amazon if you want and get a hold of that. A couple of other things that Family Life has put together that we have done. These are relatively new products, though. There is a product they put together called Passport to Purity. This is for preteens, like age 11 or so. And what it is, it's a wonderful deal because you're, you're able to get together and there are sessions that you do. You do a getaway with your kid. And you go over this information, and it's got things on here like um, challenges, traps, choices, friendships, peer pressure, changes in your body, setting boundaries, seeing dating differently. Start a little early before they're ready to do that. And so what you did, now we didn't do this, this didn't come out until Jennifer, and my, my wife took Jennifer, and actually another friend, and they went to a, a motel, and they hung out, and they went through this material. It's just a great way to do it. And they've also come out with another new thing, which we haven't even seen yet, called Passport to Identity. This is called Passport to Purity. You can get this from FamilyLife.com. Passport to Identity is for young teens, and they have a boy version and a girl version. We've got resources, guys. We need to take advantage of them. Some of those formal teaching times that we can have. So, Summary. What is a successful dad? In letter A, a successful dad must be gripped with the importance of his responsibility. We're going to mark some words here to his family. He needs time, circle time, with his children. Letter B, a successful dad must ask God to do a work in his own heart. He needs God's word, let's circle God's word, to guide his life. And letter C, a successful dad must persevere as a leader, conquering fear and failure. He needs toughness, let's circle the word toughness, in his heart. The truth of the matter is, guys, every single one of us has fumbled the ball, right? You're a dad, you've fumbled the ball. I've fumbled the ball. Scripture is filled with fathers who fumbled a few times. I read this statistic. I don't know really how you verify it, but it said that one half of the tackles in the NFL are made by someone who was knocked down earlier on the play. And some of us have been knocked down in this fathering thing. And what do you do? You get back up and you're in the game. I want, I want to show you a, a video clip. It's from a movie called Facing the Giants. And in this movie clip, it's talking about a football team, and the most influential player on the team is asked by the coach to put another player on his back and to go from the goal line to midfield. And the reason why the coach is asking the most influential player on the team to do this is he wants to set a little lesson there that the rest of the team will notice. And while you're watching this, I want you to watch the eyes of the rest of the team 
as the coach challenges the most influential player on the team. Check it out. What, you only go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50. I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. <laughs> I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet. Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. I ain't done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm bad strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. Don't quit, no! Keep going, keep going, keep going! Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit! Brock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going, keep going! No, Brock Kelly, you don't quit on me! No, you keep going, you keep going! No, Brock, 10 more steps, 10 more, 10 more, 10 more! Keep going, don't quit! Give me your Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone.
You are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach. Can I count on you? Yes. Guys, we're the most influential player on the team. God's gifted us to lead. The eyes are looking at us. We need to not give up. We need to get back up. We need to not quit. We need to keep going in the power of God. That's my desire for you. I hope it's your, that desire for me. We need to be praying for one another to do that very thing. Now, I want to tell you about something. We're going to pop up a slide. Something else is going to be happening at Wildwood on April 29th, and that is we're going to be actually hosting a special session called Blended and Blessed. It's Keys to Step Family Success. It's going to be a free one-day live event, live stream thing for step family couples and single parents and dating couples with kids and those who care about blended families. And so there's going to be hundreds of people, hundreds of sites all around the globe, and we're going to be talking about five keys that are crucial to healthy step family marriages and Janet and I will be actually helping to host that. It'll be here at Wildwood. And so we just want to alert you to the fact that that, that is, is coming up. So don't forget that. I need you to do me a favor. See this blue sheet? I need you to fill that out right now. Uh, we need these back. There's a bucket back where John Abernathy is seating. If you'll just pop those in there, we would greatly appreciate it that you're doing that. I want to remind you, too, while you're filling those out, there is a project there again for you and your spouse. There is an individual section that she will have and you will have, and then there's an interaction section. And again, we want you to work on that project about being dads and moms, and then make sure you, you know, it'd be great if you could get it done tonight, the next day, but certainly by Sunday night is the deadline to get the project done. And remember, we have, the, have been the guys making sure the projects get done. Why is that? Because God made us responsible and he's called us to lead. Let me just give us a quick word of prayer and then you can finish filling those out and put them in. That'd be great. Father, we just thank you for making us dads and calling us to be husbands and calling us to be leaders. And we just thank you for the biblical challenge that we've had over the last number of weeks. Some of us have really messed up. We've fumbled the ball. We've fallen down. We've been knocked out of the game. We pray you'll help us to continue to get back in the game, to remember the eyes that are watching us. And in your power to keep playing the game of dad. And we just pray that you'll empower every one of us in new and great and wonderful ways. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. L is for the way you look at me.